Hey, Justin here. It's Sunday, March 25th, 2018, and this is my therapy. I have a really great guest on the show today. Her name's Michelle Sparling. And if you don't know the name, then you haven't been engaged in mental health advocacy in Halton or even Ontario. I came to meet her about a year ago, almost, and uh, we'll get into kind of our interactions up until now in the in the in the conversation that we had. But uh, she's just uh, to me, she's one of the most inspiring people I know, and a major factor in me wanting to do more to change the landscape of mental health in our province and in our country. I'll leave it at that. I think the conversation tells the rest of the story. So enjoy. Here's Michelle Sparling in my conversation. I am pleased to welcome to the podcast, Michelle Sparling. Thank you for doing this with me. We are live on location at the uh, Innovative HR World Headquarters. And uh, thanks for thanks for letting me come here and bug you for a bit. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm really excited to have you here. Awesome. So, um, we met at last year's uh, CMHA Halton Region Branch uh, Mental Health week speaker series that was when uh, Sean McCann came and performed and talked about his struggle and I guess we met afterwards when I was trying to uh, you know get autographs sorted out and stuff like that and, and you were there helping me with that too and we we met again over the summer when I was uh, kind of looking for ways to break into mental health as a career path on the PR side I, my background's in PR and, and you were gracious enough to sit with me and kind of Tell me everything you knew. <laughs> or, or, yeah, that's pretty much how it or went. Or didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not much you don't know. I can, t- I can say that. Because I thought that... Uh, what's funny about that is I thought that I was equipped to you know, take on something like this. And when you started telling me about the resources and you know, what you've been involved with and all of that, it made me think, well, I got a lot, I got a lot, of, work, got a lot of work to do here. So. Well... You know, in fairness on that one, there's a difference as you're just starting to think about what you want to do in terms of getting into this area, whether it's in advocacy or, you know, the PR side where I've been living and doing this for 13 years now. So there's a lot of information that goes in your head over 13 years. What's funny about uh, my kind of career path at the moment, I don't think I ever shared this with you. But uh, do you know who Stan Kutcher is? Yeah, I know Stan Kutcher. Yeah, yeah at, I, uh, uh, Dalhousie. Yeah, IWK. Um, he was coming to do a, a talk with uh, CMHA Halton recently, and uh, he ended up not showing. But he was ill. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they've rescheduled that or not. But um, I was really excited with that because my not my first job, but I was supposed to have an internship with Stan at his uh, the Sun Life Financial Chair and Adolescent Mental Health in, in Halifax. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be my, my uh, internship out of PR school. Uh, the, his like communications director hired me. I knew her from volunteering with the Halifax Canada Games. And uh, 
that was kind of going to be my internship in like the adolescent mental health. I was working on a brain injury guide that they had just finished. I was going to start like kind of putting that together. And uh, what ended up happening was that same person that hired me for the internship sent me an app, sent me this job ad and said you should apply for this, and I did, and I got that job. So I ended up not doing the internship. Um, so I was really excited to see Stan at that event, and and anyway, he was ill and didn't show. But I was telling Melanie uh, McGregor from CMHA that. It's funny how I'm trying to break into this now, and my first opportunity at a job in PR was doing exactly what I want to do now. I, I have to kind of backtrack now and kind of catch up on what I could have been doing over the past, like, seven years. But it's, it's pretty exciting, though, the fact that, you know, something that you, you know, were interested in back then, as you said, you're coming circle back around, you know, whether it's through happenstance or your own circumstance that brings you back here you know but it says that there's a reason why to me you know you're getting that connection you yeah. know and finding all the people and I mean and when you look at somebody like Stan Kutcher you know he's just so well renowned you know and what he does and the influence that he's having you know in mental health across this country and internationally and you look at the work he's doing within the school systems in terms of the uh, school mental health is phenomenal you know, and taking, you know, everyday issues around mental health versus mental illness and trying to make people understand there's that line as to what's, you know, truly a mental illness versus what's truly everyday, you know, mental health. I was looking things. at some of his more recent videos he's got online and how, how it, like, I don't want to, like, we need to make sure not to skew what what depression is or what these various yeah. mental illnesses are, that, you know, you're, you're allowed to be sad, you're allowed to have negative feelings, Absolutely. that's completely normal. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, the way that it gets portrayed is you're not. It's like, absolutely. You know, life is ups and downs. And it's how we cope with them sometimes is where the challenges come in. So yeah, yeah that's it's very just exciting. funny. I could have be I could have seven years into this by well, now. Exactly. If I stuck with the you know, you're halfway to where I am. Well, yeah, what's funny is that uh, <laughs> what's funny is that uh, I actually got one of my good friends to take that internship after I left. I was like, "We well, should hire this guy." So they yeah. did. He ended up working there for like three years. Nice. And nice. I just I left because I didn't know if there was, there was some uncertainty about what was going to come after the internship. But what could have been. Oh, trying know, to catch but, up now but you're, you you've got a career path or at least a path of uh whether it's you know volunteer side or otherwise in front of you, you you've got all these ideas where you want to go so i have no doubt you know that you're going to land well i'm trying so uh before we really get into the conversation here we went on a bit of a tangent there but what i what i wanted to do before we started was uh, i want to go back to maybe a month or more ago that uh, i was sent an email um basically outlining you know your experience and what somebody uh what they were suggesting was uh we're going to nominate you for an award through the uh what is it here the canadian alliance on mental illness and mental health the uh champions of mental health awards for 2018 coming up i think it's in a few months but uh the submit the uh nominations were due at the end of february and i uh i took the time to submit a nomination for well, thank you. you, thank you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to um, make you blush, but at the worst case scenario is I haven't conveyed you, you know, to the fullest potential that it could be. So I'm just gonna read this and then get uh, get some feedback. Michelle Sparling has been a passionate, dedicated, and outspoken leader for the advocacy of mental health initiatives in Oakville, Ontario, since 2008. Motivated, which is wrong apparently, because you said 13 years. Yeah. It's 13 years I've been in this, but in terms of when I became more of an activist, it's 2008. Okay. Yeah. 
Motivated to get involved by her son's struggle with mental health and her family's difficulty to find appropriate resources to treat his illness, Michelle has gone on to speak before MPPs at Queen's Park, chair boards, join committees, and volunteer her time at fundraising and awareness events. Currently, Michelle is the chair of the board for parents at Children's Mental Health Ontario, vice chair of the board of the Canadian Mental Health Association Halton Region Branch, co-chair for the Community Advisory Committee on Mental Health at Halton Healthcare, member of the Just Be You Youth Peer Support Program Advisory Committee, mem- member of the Mental Health Leadership Team at the Halton Catholic District School Board, as well as the founder of Shine Out, Shout Out, an annual fundraising recreational hockey tournament in support of Just Be You. Over its first five years, Shine Out, Shout Out has raised approximately $200,000 for the youth program located in Oakville. In addition, Michelle continues her advocacy work through countless presentations to community groups and direct peer support to families of youth and with mental illness through Parents for Children's Mental Health. In 2014, Michelle earned the Provincial Leading Women Award for her work in mental health and Shine Out, Shout Out was recognized by CMHA Halton with the Marlene Longden Award for making a difference in mental health in the community. In 2016, she received the President's Award from Support and Housing Halton, representing significant contribution to their objectives. In 2017, she received the Sesquicentennial Award. Canada. Sesquicentennial Award. And that's where I ended it. We had a limited number of characters to work with, to be honest with you, and I, I narrowed it down to what you're currently involved in. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think the question you asked you when you first sat down is, when do I sleep? Um, you know, you know, it's it's funny. I don't think about it too much. I just do. It's in front of me, and it just seems like the right thing to do. And just because of what we went through, I just decide that you know I'm going to do it. And I guess it's a bit where I prioritize myself, right, and what I want to focus on. So everything I do is connected in some way or, or fashion. So where there it's, you know, with, with the school board at the time I get involved in that is because my family was involved in the school and it just allowed that ongoing connection. When I got involved with CMHAs because my children were getting into the adult age and I wanted to know more about, you know, what right. that system looked like when they changed over. And Parents for Children's Mental Health, you know, when we saw the challenges we were going through there, a lot of it was just around trying to really, you know, understand that system, but also all the work that I did as a human resources consultant. Um, I had got a lot of skills about learning to use my voice and learning to make, you know, differences. And this was an opportunity for me to take all those skills and do it someplace that was very personal and very passionate to me. Yeah. So I guess I don't even think about it. You know, to me, it's, you know, people have, you know, their hobbies where they go off and do. You know, bowling or skiing or stuff like that this sort of has become that for me you know in addition to the hockey playing but that's you know I, I just never think about it you know somebody needs it I go okay you know I, I have this apron that says I can do that across my front of it you know and it's like yeah I know yes I can do it some days I say I have to say no I can't you know some days there's too much on your plate and you have to step back so I still run a business <laughs> so um did that for me to set that up is did I miss anything just out of curiosity um yeah well yeah there's a few things still of course. uh yeah there's uh the Halton the Mississauga Halton uh, Lynn which is our local health initiative network they have a working committee to look at uh, case management and I actually you know co-chair that committee now and uh, Dr. Ian Daw out of Trillium Health Partners has started a new initiative um with the community on 
the uh, Project Zero, which is looking at you know the whole, starting with the whole zero suicide um, idea idea that comes out of the states and trying to you know, grow that here. So I've now been asked to be on the steering committee and as part of the working committee for that, which is very exciting. That one, I think, of all the things I've done to date is the most exciting because it's like everything I have done up to this point has come into this nice, neat little focus there because it involves education, involves the healthcare, and it involves the community services, and it involves families and parents, you know, or, or uh, uh, community members. So it's like everything has now come to this one point in time. So I'm very excited by this because this is big, you know, and... It just one of those ones you go, wow, like this goes where we want it to go and we can roll it out past Mississauga into the rest of the province into Canada. This is going to be very, very cool. So, okay, I want to expand on that. What, uh, how do you hope it goes and like what, what's the vision for expanding it across Canada? Well, I mean, the idea with this project really is to, you know, be able to take and look at, you know, um, from a community sense, going back to, you know, um, the young years, making sure that we are putting things in place that there's the support and the tools and the resources and the um, learnings in terms of coping resiliency so that, you know, eventually the goal is, you know, I mean, in, for this particular one, zero suicide in 10 years. You know, that's the focus. And it's a lofty goal, but if you're the idea is that if you do all the right things, you go back and look from the, from the symptoms sometimes, uh, you know, versus or sorry, back and look at the cause versus the symptoms, trying to make sure those causes are addressed. You know, you're looking at the determinants of health and all those things. It makes a difference, and it helps to create an overall strategy. You know, that we don't have right now. We don't have a national strategy. You know, in terms of dealing with suicide. You know, we have some things in the province, but we don't have a comprehensive common approach everybody's doing their own thing so it's really about what can we do to make that a difference and having all the players all in the room and all the commitment from the top down though this isn't just an idea that's happening at the ground level this is across the tops of all these organizations going yeah you know what this is going to be really cool we believe in this we think we can do this and to have all those parties together at the same table having all having the conversation that's what's making it unique the uh, the zero suicide thing really is interesting. Um, I I dealt with some pretty severe suicidal ideation a couple of weeks ago. I was in the hospital. Um, I've gotten better, but uh, it scares me at the thought of it happening again. How do you see closing the gap on that? What's that look like? Well, I think closing the gap on those things. It is about you know going back and making sure that we have the supports and resources in place to help people. Um, I say first the coping and resiliency piece, you know, and then because there's people who will have see, mental health um, issues or challenges that you know, may come into mental um, disorders that happen for various reasons that you know you can't control. But but what you do with it at the time that you support them so that they never get to that point where they're feeling that you know the pain is so intense or the things are so overwhelming that that's the only option in front of them. You know, so you're trying to make it that you know there are you have where people can go to where they need to go to get the help, so they're not ever at that point. Hmm. You know, so as part of that, I mean, there's it's just so much more to it, but it is about, um, like I said, making sure that you know we get people the help they need it when they need it, 
and in the way that they need it and how they need it, you know, ra- rather than, you know, wait until it's, to, you know, to the point of crisis. I would suggest from my experience that a big hurdle in that process is making people aware of the services available, where they can Absolutely. get them Absolutely. and things like that. Absolutely. I, um, I think I've shared this in the podcast before, but if not, it was about, I think it was May of last year that I admitted to my wife that um, I had some suicidal ideation that I you know, wanted to, I couldn't go any longer. From that, and she said, okay, we, you know, we need to deal with this. Um, it was between May, I went May until October before I actually sought help because for one thing, I didn't know where to get help. Mm-hmm. Even though I was volunteering with the CMHA, I still was unfamiliar with really where to go. Yeah. And uh, besides that, there's that uh, there's that stigma where I felt weak. Yeah. I felt that this was something I can handle on my own. I don't need help. It's almost like a denial. Yeah. And then it wasn't until October that I said, you know, I cannot. I just need to suck it up and go try to get some help because this isn't working. So that's one part. And then more recently, since I've been in the hospital, that's it was been such a frustrating process. I've I, I exhausted that on the podcast previously, but basically I went to Joseph Brand Hospital in Burlington, left after a day because you know I just kind of wanted to go home at that point. I you know they would they changed my medication in emergency. I didn't get admitted. I went home, and then I went back Monday night, and then just a couple of days later, and then was admitted, but then. They kind of dropped the, like, it was very uncomfortable with how one of the nurses treated me when I was up there. And I said, okay, I'm, like, I have no faith in this system, so I needed to go. They recommended I go to Oakville, which Oakville has amazing facilities. But uh, in emergency, I was met with a, uh, a serious lack of compassion from the psychiatrist. He was uh, questioning why I needed to be there in kind of a blunt way. Mm-hmm. And that was very off-putting, actually made me very upset, and I lashed out in anger. Eventually, I ended up, I was admitted, and I was in constant observation for a couple of days, and then moved over to the other ward. And then from that point, it was pretty good. Uh, I had a good psychiatrist. Most of the nurses I dealt with were good. Or at least they weren't, they they didn't make me feel worse, <laughs> because the, the nurse in Burlington made me feel worse. But um, since I've been out... I was told by the, so when I was in there, I was told the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist told me and my wife that the program that they have, the outpatient program, was part one-on-one therapy, part group therapy. I said, okay, that's what I need. So I went for an intake assessment and I was told there is no one-on-one component. And uh, at that point I was like, okay. And they told me also that the the group therapy would not get as involved in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, as what I'm already doing with my th- with my therapist. So I felt that that's of no value to me. And then I pursued Homewood, the uh, the program, the private program in Guelph. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I put in my application Sunday night. They called me yesterday to ask some questions. It's kind of an intake, I think. And... Um, they had mentioned it, there's no one-on-one therapy. It's all group. And my wife spoke with them while I was in the hospital and was told that there was one-on-one, a one-on-one component, that every day you'd see someone one-on-one, and then you would have your group therapy, or it was vice versa. You have group therapy in the morning, one-on-one in the afternoon. It was something like that. They told me there was no one-on-one. So I said, okay, I guess we're done, because 
I'm not paying thousands of dollars to go through to group therapy and I could do it in Oakville. So that kind of left me between a rock and a hard place. But what I'm the point to all this is that there's a serious amount of misinformation between these parties. Um, I don't I can't explain the Homewood one because that that's all what my wife heard and then what they told me. Mm-hmm. But the the hospital example, the fact that the psychiatrist was not aware of the of what the actual programs that they were offering were, and maybe the intake person didn't know either. I don't know who's right and who's wrong, yeah. and it just scares the shit out of me. If I was more vulnerable, I I wouldn't be here because I've been so frustrated by this. But I think I'm on the right medication, and I've been feeling yeah. better, and I think that's what's keeping me around right now. That I, I'm, I'm a little, I, my mood's a little better. I haven't been great the last couple of days, but my mood in general is better. And if I was more vulnerable, I wouldn't be here. You know, I think like like every... Every workplace, every community, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it comes down to communications, as you said, you know, whether people are talking to each other or not, you know, and where things are changing up. And we know the system is broken. You know, we hear our government officials tell us the system is broken. We have people operating silos, and not only operating silos in terms of in the community, and you know, health versus community agency versus schools and whatnot. We also find within the organizations themselves, and sometimes it's as good as the person who's in front of you, which is what you it sounds like experienced, where that person, you know, what they knew or didn't know, or what they happened to say. You know, or maybe they just didn't even think about it at that time. Said, "Oh yeah, yeah, sure," because somebody comes in and talks to you for you know 15 minutes. You know, how are you doing? And check in, and that's that one-on-one. So it's even, yeah, you know, are they even speaking the same language? And that's a huge challenge because when you look across the you know, sphere or the field of mental health services, we find out not only is there inconsistency in, at times in what they say are those services or how they define that basket of services, it's even how they name it or call it. Which then, for the everyday consumer who has to access these services, you're going, I have no idea. I think I'm getting this, but turns out it's not that at all. It's something else. And as you said, you spend your time spinning your wheels at a time where you don't have the energy or the ability to spin those wheels because you have nothing left except to keep yourself you know, here. And I'll add that uh, I was comfortable with being discharged from the hospital on the basis that I was going to get immediate treatment in the outpatient program with the understanding I was going to have daily one-on-one therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was at a loss for words when I found out that that wasn't the case. And yeah, I... And those are things to give, like, in terms of those organizations, when those things happen, if there seems to be that disconnect, it's really important to give the feedback, yeah. you know, back and let them know, you know, what's, what was expected, what was understood, and what didn't happen. You know, when you leave, you know, the hospital, for example, and you get a plan of discharge, and it says, here's what's going to happen, here's when, and, you know, the detail, and that conversation takes place with you and your wife about what that's going to look like you know it it should be clear so that you don't go out going i think i'm getting this now i find out it's not this there should be that conversation that takes place there so that you do understand and it's also the time the opportunity then to say okay um but you said it's one-on-one 
what does that really look like? Well, it's not that, so where would I get that? Is there somebody in the community? And, you know, is there that warm handoff that says, oh, by the way, you're going to go use this community service? Here, here's the person you're going to be dealing with. So you get that pass-off point. I couldn't even get a warm handoff within the hospital that I had to be discharged and then referred to the outpatient program. I couldn't even go to the outpatient program while I was an inpatient. Like there wasn't that warm handoff even within the hospital. And, and that comes down to capacity, right? You know, we're seeing it in all the papers. We're reading, you know, hearing it on the, the news, you know, the government's announcement this week about how much money they're putting into the system. It comes down to, unfortunately, capacity, that they just have only so many spaces and people are left waiting. And what we know is that people don't get better waiting, you know, and, you know, the more that wait happens, the greater the risk is. So there should be systems in place that while you're waiting, you have that support around you, you know, so what's the alternative while you do have to wait? You know, ideally... We should have it where we never have to wait. You know, the ideal is you get the service when you need, how you need it, where you need it, and what you need. Um, and we may get there someday. You know, if we do all the right things, or you're diverting people away so they're going into the when they need it into the community services rather than having to go to the hospital immediately. Like, because you know that when we look at the number of visits to emergency rooms across the province for mental health, they have risen substantially. Is it because there's no services in the community? Is it because people don't know where to go? Is it that they are truly in crisis? And, you know, and then you know, how many of those end up being um, into, placed into hospital? How many end up being handed out to the community? Do we, are we even tracking you know, what the outcomes are for them? I don't know. And I think until we figure a way to manage that better, you we're always going to have a capacity issue and we need to start dealing with that in a way that they're all working together and in the same common language. So there are things that are happening. Like I said, I see it in our region with some of the work that we're doing now, trying to get that commonality of language. But it's not going to be today or tomorrow. It's going to be, it's going to have to have all the players changing how they think sometimes. I was going to ask you this later, but since you brought it up, I was, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the investment uh, announcement this week with the, uh, Kathleen Wynne, the Premier of Ontario, announcing that $2.1 billion dollars over four years. Huge. What? Yeah. How do you how do you think that changes the landscape? Do you know, to have that much money coming into mental health at, you know, pretty well, you know, four years in, in scheme of, you know, government and scheme of health is now. Like you're basically saying, and now we're getting, you know, $2.1 billion. That's substantive. You know, that makes significant difference when you look at, you know, we had nine hubs before for youth and now we're going to go up to adding 15 more on it. You know, the more capacity, the more availability, um, the, the better it is. You're taking, is it 5% or whatever it was and going to put it into um, immediately into agencies out there. That an uptake of 5% for an organization to be able to add more staff or more programs to get more people through the door is huge. Like I could tell you that because of the little work I do with um, children's mental health, we had said when we did our proposals to uh, the government, you know, and Kim Moran, the CEO of Children's Mental Health Ontario, she and her team did a fabulous presentation to the government where they basically said, I think it was around $123 million investment would make a substantive change in children's mental health in this province. It's not much, you know, and so when I look at this type of money where we're talking about um, money into uh, 
agencies and into hospitals and into community and into supports for family, which is so much needed, I think it'll be you know, phenomenal because it allows us to put um, programs in place that are some of the best practices going if they do it right. And it could exceed, you know, as the programs Australia and the UK are the ones that are always put out there. We could have programs that exceed what they do with this type of funding. You know, so it will very much get us to where we need to do or we need to go in terms of helping to manage, you know, those in the community in terms of their accessing the services they need. And I think it's it's huge. Now we hope, you know, budget next week, the budget, you know, speech, so we hope it gets through that. And then, you know, hopefully that, you know, whatever happens with the election, whoever ends up getting elected, you know, there's lots of choices out there that there is a commitment by all the political parties. Because this is a, this is a, you know, uh, it's not a political issue. It shouldn't be a political issue. Life and death and health shouldn't be a political issue. It should be just a human issue. And it should never be made a political football, you know. And so I'm hoping that the powers that be in all those parties, you know, step up and actually say, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, I'm glad to hear that you are, that you think this could really change the landscape because when I heard $2.1 billion, I thought, that's a lot of money. I feel like that should do some damage mm-hmm. in, in the process. And it's good to hear that you think it will. What I hope we get to at some point, I mentioned this in the last podcast I did, that that I find that a lot of a lot of the health issues beyond mental health tend to or mental health tends to manifest itself in a physical way whether it's uh, you know diabetes from overeating or you smoke and you get lung cancer like because you smoke because you need to calm yourself down and things like that and if we put so much more funding into mental health I feel like it could really help our healthcare system in every way absolutely I mean if you look at the the um, was it the quote the World Health Organization would always have? No, there is no health without mental health because mental health can manifest itself in very physical ways. The same way physical health can actually have an impact on the, on the mental. I mean, they go hand in hand. You know, so if we start treating both physical and mental health with the same level of care and concern and the same level of you know uh, services or treatment, you know, that just makes for better quality of life for your people. And that's what we need to go towards. You know, you look at our, I mean, the, the local health networks, that's their goal, you know, from the Ministry of Health is quality of life. And you have to have both of those things working hand in hand in order to have quality of life. So I'm hoping. Yeah. It's good to hear that you uh, you see it as a, as a real advancement forward, hopefully. Yeah, I, yeah. That makes me feel good. Sorry, and the other piece that's in there, what I like is there's a lot, uh, you know, some more focus on peer support. You know, which is such a critical piece, right? You know, we look at all the evidence-based research says that peer support can have a significant impact on somebody in dealing with mental illness because it helps them with, you know, overcoming isolation. It helps them with, you know, overcoming stigma. You know, a lot of times because you, when you have, you're dealing with your own mental illness, there's that self-stigma that you have. And it also helps, you know, with um, letting them, helping someone with the coping resiliency skills to be able to move forward, you know, knowing that they're not alone and having that conversation. If somebody says the, you know, to, to use the, uh, the famous words these days, me too, you know, go, yeah, mm-hmm. me too, I, I've been there. And then know you can have that connection with somebody. All the evidence-based research says that sometimes, you know, that's actually better for somebody than the therapy, you know, or, you know, or it's equivalent to some of the treatments that are out there. And I think, you know, we don't give enough 
um, credence to it at times. We don't put enough value into it for the longest time, whether it was defined through a community agency, you know, whether at the hospital, because they have peer supporters at the hospital, they have peer supporters in some of the communities. And even the one like we ran for Just View with the social recreational peer support, there wasn't always the value put on that. And some of what we saw, you know, in the budget this week or the, the proposed changes is the value of peer support, you know, both for those who are living with the mental illness and for the people around them, their family, you know, and in that case, family being defined as whoever the person feels is important to them in, you know, moving forward in their recovery. I can really speak to that peer support piece because basically what brought me around from from basically I resigned myself to ending my life a couple of weeks ago. What really brought me around was I need to help people come out of situations like this. And that's what I've decided I'm going to start dedicating myself to. And I can speak from experience that I needed a peer support worker. I didn't even know peer support was a thing until I was in the hospital. But once I kind of found out that's what that was what it was or that was it, it existed. There was one morning when I had resigned myself to killing myself and the psychiatrist came in and basically said, If you don't change your attitude it was in a, in a nice way, but if you don't change your attitude, you can't be we can't help you. Um so then he left and the social worker came in, kinda of gave me the same ramble. And in that moment, if I had a peer support worker, somebody came in and said, I've been where you are and We'll get through it, yeah. and I'll help you through it. Something to that effect. That's really probably all I needed in that moment. And luckily, I started. You know, I I was just like, there's nothing after this for me. I don't know what comes after this. I can't. I don't think I can. You know, make it. And I don't know how I started, but I just started thinking about. You know, what if I just helped people with this situation that I'm in currently? Well, you find your yeah. own anchor point sometimes to say, you know, this is I, I can go from this point and go forward. And whatever that trigger was, you know, whatever it happened, you know, whether it's, you know, your medication is finally starting to work or there's something within yourself, you know, that you find, the, you know, that strength because you have so much strength in you that you don't always appreciate that's there. Or whether it's just, you know, there's some tweak of something you saw or, you know, passing that made you do that. You know, it's about, yeah, you, for you, you know, to see that and be able to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I think it's huge, you know, and I, I look now like between your podcast that you're doing, when I look at, you know, the conversations you have with people on Twitter, you know, you do a lot under the uh, uh, hashtag sick, not weak, you know, that with Michael Landsberg's um, work, that's huge, you know, to be able to give a voice to other people to say, yeah, I've been there and, you know, telling people, I know it's tough, you know, that we're all here for you and not ha- you know, even that's that virtual, just knowing that somebody's not feeling alone, you know, that there's somebody there who can connect with. That's really amazing. And, you know, when you look at, you know, you've got the Peer Support um, Alliance of Canada, you know, and they have their whole certification program that they're putting, they've got in place to get people trained how to be true peer supporters, whether it's from a family or from a uh, person with lived experience to another person with lived experience. Um, you look at in Oakville, with Support and Housing Halt, and they have their TEACH program. And TEACH is, you know, started off this little community, you know, organization starting to work through, is now becoming renowned outside of Canada for their peer support program, for what they do. And a lot of theirs, they'll do the one-on-one, they'll have have some group too. 
but a lot of the people come through their programs and go on to become you know peer supporters and there's some great significance of you know impact that they're having in the community for people because of what they're doing and sometimes for you know one i remember just watching a video of one particular person talking about their peer support and they said it didn't you know take away what they're dealing with in terms of their mental illness but what it did is you know give them that i mean it was a support and true i mean it was a you know think of like a, a uh, aid like a, a crutch or something like that to be able to know you had some place you can lean on a little bit so that you weren't alone as you're going through this journey and that's to me to my look at it like, it's so invaluable you know to have that so that's very cool for the knowing that you're doing that I think you'll be awesome at that well the whole Twitter thing that I started to do just I'm reading that hashtag and responding to the people that seem like they need some help that wasn't there for me yeah. And or I maybe I I also probably didn't reach for it either. I I try to you know be a private person and not talk about this too much, which I'm changing because I need to because I think it's important. But uh, yeah, I I hope that's a place to start. I know you know I don't have any experience in in being an actual peer support worker, but I can I have that lived experience now, and I felt like I needed somebody at that time when I was really down, and that's how I approach it every day now. I I go through that Twitter feed and. Yeah. And make sure people know that someone has been where they are or something like that. And, you know, the, the thing about this part, too, is that people seem to forget that as, I mean, as human beings, we, we like relationship. We like connection. We like knowing that somebody's there and just saying to somebody, you know, you look like you're having a bad day. You know, how are you doing? And really listening to the response back. Hey, you know, it looks like things are going great right now. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Let's go have a chat. I mean, it doesn't take an awful lot to let mm. people know that they're not alone, no matter what they're going through. You know, and we seem to forget that, especially with people dealing with mental illness. There's that, oh, I don't want to, you know, bother them, or I'm not really sure what I'm dealing with. I don't know if they're okay with me having, you know, asking the questions. Absolutely. You know, say, you know, how are you really doing? You know, like, I'm glad you're here. You know, I know this has been tough, you know, for you. I'm glad you're here. I mean, as I joke with you, you know, who am I going to have set up at Midnight Madness this summer? You know, when we, when we set out there for CMHA and, you know, do all the displays again. I'll be there. Yeah, excellent. You know, I'm excited. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Good stuff. But yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, you there, there's that basic human compassion and empathy that we should have for our fellow man. And then there's that extra layer that you can bring now that you've got that lived experience. So you, because you've had the compassion and empathy and concern for people. Now you're layering it up with the, and I've been there. And that makes it that much more powerful. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back a little bit. Um, we went on that, uh, actually, about the money being invested and kind of, uh, or pledged. And uh, we kind of went on a, a rant there, but I want to circle back to all of your uh, all of your advocacy work that you've been doing and you have done in the past. I didn't even mention the stuff that you used to do. Like this, it, the pay, seriously, the the resume was like three pages long. It's unbelievable when I when I went to uh, make that nomination. I had to kind of I had to do my best to condense it. So I went with what she's doing currently. But because um, it's a 2018 award, so I figured, what's she doing in 2018? And uh, I can't imagine you're not going to get the award, but we'll see. You know, I, that's not 
I shouldn't say that. Let me have I put this. When I got a call to say that, you know, there's a group of people wanted to nominate me for that, um, it felt very strange. It felt very weird. And part of me wanted to shy away from it because... I didn't doubt that for a second. I asked Brian if you even knew about it because I was going to mention it to you. And he just said, yeah, she knows. So Yeah, no, I did. It, it's just this awkward thing that, you know, it's not at all why I'm doing what I'm doing. And personally... You know, say you don't care about them because you know if it gives it up, gives you a platform to be able to raise more awareness, that's great. But it really, to me, it was having a group of people around me that I think highly of, who are in this field with me, who are mental health advocates, who are my friends and colleagues, that you know feel that you know there is an impact. You know, and I don't do this alone. I do this with a lot of people. You know, you're you're. You're there for the CMHA or Shine Out Shout Out, you know, you're part of that. And, you know, I look across the piece, you know, it's always been a team effort. Um, so I've been very blessed to have that, and it just seemed weird. <laughs> I just, and even now I'm still going, that just seems weird, you know. I, it's, an, it's To me, it's that old saying, it was an honor just to be nominated, and it truly it is. Like, that's, you know, there's people there, I go, wow, you know, they actually wanted to nominate me, and thinking, I'm so impressed by them, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm very touched. Well, what I hope comes of, comes of it is that when you win, because you will, um, people will become aware of the amount of advocacy you do, and hopefully it moves the needle for somebody else that says, you know, I should be more involved too. That's what I hope comes of it. And it doesn't take much sometimes. You know, sometimes it's just about, you know, showing up, you know, at a meeting or, you know, having a conversation with somebody or you know some of the things that we've been doing like with through children's mental health ontario and they had the whole campaign kids kids can't wait advocacy could be something as simple as writing your name on the email form that they had on their line and hit the send button it took you all of five seconds you know it's about just saying you know this is important to me i need to make a change yeah so you have all this advocacy work you've been doing and continue to do uh just can you talk about why? Why am I doing this? Why do you this? do all this? I think there's a personal connection there. Yeah, there, there's a significant personal connection, you know, for me on on this one. Um, it goes back to, you know, say, 13 years ago. You we were talking about that number um, when you know, my my oldest child um, is showing signs of anxiety and and at the time I wouldn't have known it was depression but just you know just seemed down and just didn't see themselves and you know it was seven years old at the time and I started looking for help um when in at the, I mean here's the, the interesting or the, not the interesting but how much we've changed over the years is part of the story that you make you shake your head today a little bit um what was a trigger for us is that we watched our child who seemed to be always involved and engaged start to be on the outside of the circle looking in and didn't get engaged as much, get more worried about things. And in April of grade two, there was a the agenda comes home and has all the information in it from about school, what's gone on. And there was a story in there and it was called all about me. And our oldest described themselves and talked about you know the hair color, their eyes, you know the family, and then talked about they didn't fit in. Talked about they were worried. They talked about they wanted to change schools. And so, as a parent, my instant reaction was, "Oh, they're being bullied." And so, I called the school and talked to the teacher and said, "I'm a little concerned. You know, this is what's gone on." 
and you know have they been bullied and the response I got back was I knew you would be worried about it I tried to get them to change it you know and it's like well wait a second you know there's no bullying going on no we're not seeing anything it's him you know and I'm thinking, imagine today, with how far we've come since the Bell Last Talk Day and everything, that you'd have that reaction today. Mm. You know, and a lot of it is because there wasn't any malfeasance or anything in there. This person didn't know and didn't, you know, didn't think of it because we used to think kids that little didn't get sad. They didn't, you know, it was other things going on, but that wasn't depression or they weren't anxious. That was, you know, kid issues. And we ended up going through and getting, you know, I ignored them, my family doctor involved. Long story is that we've been dealing with mental illness um, with our oldest, and then the last few years, our youngest had developed some very severe um, anxiety. So balancing both pieces, and as I try to navigate um, the system, I learned things that, that, for example, that children's mental health was not under health; it was under mm. the Ministry of Child and Youth Services. Yeah. What that means is. I could live in Oakville, in Halton Region. My family doctor is in Mississauga, Peel Region. I couldn't access services in Peel because there's demarcations or divisions based on the regions you live in. So you can't get the services. So if Peel had services available for me at the time and I had to, you know, I could get within three months, I couldn't access it. I may have to wait the nine months in Oakville. And I thought this is ridiculous. And also, I didn't know anything about this, you know, trying to learn and trying to understand. And as a parent, you had all the reactions you thought you would. You're feeling lost and you're feeling frustrated and you were, there was grieving because you knew how hard this could be, you know, for them, you know, as they went through all this and you were trying to be that superstar. You're trying to fix it and make it better. And you couldn't, you know, I wanted to find that magic word that wave that wand, get the right food, you know, do something to make this go away. And I couldn't, you know, I wanted to be mom make it better you know kiss the boo-boo and end it and Mm. I couldn't so that's and and the system didn't help me was putting roadblocks up in terms of trying to get the help that we needed so I decided you know I've been doing at that time human resources for oh my gosh you know almost uh, 20 years and I thought I've got a voice I've got all these skills I've learned you know through my labor negotiations and human resources I can be doing something with this I need to help make a difference. So that's when I decided, you know, enough. And the other piece I saw was some of the access to the services. There was very much an issue of privilege because some of the services that you needed were private, you know, in order to get get them, right? Some of the therapies and things at the time, otherwise ridiculous wait lists, especially back then. And if you could afford to pay for it, then you were okay. And if you couldn't, you were waiting. And some kids were waiting a very long time. And I sat there and went, that's wrong. Like, you, you shouldn't have to pay for something that's health. You know, that's why we have taxes. You know, that's why the Canada Health Act is there that says, you know, people shouldn't be financially disadvantaged, you know. And I couldn't understand why somebody didn't challenge the federal government on that. You know, I was, you know, big picture, like, I don't understand this. So I decided, you know, it's time to get involved and be part of that, raising my voice. And that's what started me. And I start, I literally started off connecting with Sarah Cannon, uh, who's the executive director of Parents for Children's Mental Health back in 2008. 
Sarah was great in terms of helping me as a peer support, family support, um, letting you know where what I can do and being able to vent and have a place I could go as a parent and feel safe. And you know, my first experience was marching on Queens Park back in 2008, um, going in to meet all the MPPs, talking about children's mental health and the needs that we had. And then we came into the standing committee on mental health at our local MPP, Kevin Flynn, and the other parties did in 2010, meeting with him. And I just kept going, I can do this. You know, I can talk about these things. And then I start growing more with PCMH that in terms of getting to do more things across the province, getting involved in family engagement um, training and trying to, you know, go and do presentations. And it just grew from there slowly, bit by bit. And you know, where now you get to see, as you said, three-page list that you know, I, I don't think about it like that. I go, oh, really? But yeah, I guess it probably is because you know, I said I can do that, right? And I'm, yeah. and I'm, and I'm, I'm blessed that with my company, with my consulting work, I can flex it where I need to, so that I can be there when I need to be there. Yeah, like a lot of, I think a lot of parents would kind of throw their hands up and say I don't know what to do and uh, maybe you didn't know what to do but you figured it out yeah I, I didn't um, at the beginning and you spend a lot of time I mean Dr. Google oh my gosh you know like at one in the morning when you can't sleep because you're wondering how things are going you know I I spent a lot of time with Dr. Google but you know Dr. Google's not always great because you learn things you don't want to know <laughs> and you know some things aren't accurate you know so it was about then where to go what workshops can I get you know what books can I get you know what who can I talk to um to to learn and it became learning which is why like when, when I look at I said our organization like Parents for Children's Mental Health one of the things that we do you know we have three pillars it's the support for families it's the education and information for families, and it's the advocacy for families. So on that support and on that education information is to help them navigate that system. You know, And we've got, we have almost 40 chapters across the province, um, and it's all families volunteering who become peers themselves to be able to help navigate that because you're right, you don't know. And you still, I get calls even today, I had one this week, where the families are going, I don't know what to do, I don't even know what to say, I don't know what to ask. And they're being asked to, while they're in crisis, to go find the services for their child, you know, so when they come out of hospital, they have something. I'm thinking, but they're in crisis as much as their child is, mm. you know, and you don't, and unless you have a need to be in here, you don't know it. You don't know what the system is, you know, and you need to be able to find that place where you can go, okay, where's the one point I want to go in, and where do I go from here? Yes, that, and now what, you know, and the process isn't good at answering the, and now what? especially at the times that families need them. Yeah, so that's really why I started that. I thought, no, you know what? We need to do something. We need to be able to answer that, and now what? And let families know there are people here who can help you through this. You know, And we may not have all the answers, but at least we can give you some, feel like you're not alone, and we can also help direct you. You, uh, you mentioned that you kind of learn more than you intend to when you uh, lean on Dr. Google. Um, I was, that kind of segues me into my next question about um about that involvement that you've had over the past 13 years to do something about this hands-on do you find that uh sometimes maybe you, you uh, learn things that can become incredibly frustrating or is it more so like just rewarding to be able to be that change oh, i think there's a two parts to that um it's yes 
And yes, um, the yes sound, sometimes you go through this and you think things are changing and something happens, funding doesn't come through and things get canceled that you think it could be possibilities in terms of programming services. Um, you know, it's as good as whatever the focus is of the government of the day and of the people who are around you. That's frustrating. The other piece that's frustrating is you think a system's running a certain way and you get into the middle of it and you find out it's not anywhere near, you know, the way it's supposed to. You know, even listening to your experience, if you listen to the way the system is supposed to be and what people tell you and you you know, read all the sites, you know, it doesn't match what you say. Mm. You know, and yet your experience is your experience. Those types of things frustrate me. Those types of things frustrate me when there's a lot of money going into the system on these things and sometimes I see the same stuff repeating. Still dropping think, the ball. Yeah, mm. and I'm thinking, but your only goal is this person, you know. So you know, put your money into the people who are providing the services. Make sure that they are, you know, trained, that you have people who have empathy and compassion. As you said, if you don't have empathy and compassion and you can't handle people when they are at their worst, you shouldn't be in those roles. The number of people that I came across, and I, I kind of glanced over it earlier, but there were a few nurses, the really bad one in Burlington, but then there were still nurses in Oakville that were, they looked like they didn't care. There was one nurse that said to me uh, when I, I that when I hit the low point and I was gonna, I'd resign myself. There was one nurse that came in. She was very nice. That was okay. So she had empathy and compassion. But her response to me was that like think of all the people that are ill and are clinging to life, and you're you're not type of thing. And I've been through. That's a nice guilt trip. I've been through mental health first aid, and that is the last, last thing, thing you say. say. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, and actually, you know, that's a good thing you raised about mental health first aid. Um, that's one of the things. You know, when I looked at this journey that I went on, one of the best things that I took was my mental health first aid course. You know, and I took the first one I took was mental health first aid for adults dealing with children. You know, and as a parent, just learning, you know, what this really meant and what this looked like, and understanding, you know, what were some of the signs and things that I could be doing, and understanding even just to, you know, keep them safe or even to, you know, understand even what some of the triggers could be or things to watch for. That was phenomenal. I, to me. Every workplace should have that. You know, the schools are doing it. They're starting to do it through the mental health assist that the Ministry of Education has. They're training people. But I think that every school should have it. Every, you know, daycare should have it. Every workplace should have it. It should be no different than you're doing CPR and other, you know, regular first aid because it you have a greater chance of encountering somebody who's dealing with mental health issues than you will have somebody having that physical issue who needs CPR. And so I just think, you know, you need to do that. So for me, that was such a phenomenal course in terms of helping me. And I also did uh, suicide intervention training. And that again, you know, it, that was hard. That was hard because you were role-playing and you're, you know, putting yourself in those shoes where you're the person who's, you know, going through the emotions and has made that decision to end their life. Or you went the other side where you're trying to talk to somebody. And it was very difficult, you know, yeah. and... It to put your having to get that sense of empathy, you know, that really did it for me. So I just think, you know, there's things out there you could educate yourself on, and that for me was one of the best ones that was going. Yeah, regarding the mental health first aid, not only should it be in every 
I feel like somebody should have that kind of training in every workplace. Absolutely. I feel like you should not step foot in a mental health ward if you haven't been through it, like to work there if you haven't been through that. That should apply to every person in that situation. And it was clear to me that that nurse had not had that. Yeah, and to, I, yeah, I don't know what they what they go through, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what is, what are the requirements, you know, and also, you know, it doesn't necessarily start at that facility. It starts back, you know, when they come through their training, you know, when they're going through nursing, whatever. You see it now. Um, I think it's Western. It's Western. Yeah, Western. Their um, Bachelor of Education, Masters of Education program. They used to have a week built into their year where they would talk about mental health. They now have it as one of the key requirements in their curriculum. So it's actually they actually take a full, I think at least a term, of mental health. So that when teachers are coming out of out of you know university, whether you're a VED or MED, you're actually you've got that understanding experience now going into the schools, which is so critical. You know, where do our kids spend so much time? You know, it's like adults spend a lot of time in the workplace. Kids spend a lot of time in school. Having more people who have the eyes and ears and can see and identify when something doesn't seem right, you know, and asking the question, you know, if everything's okay, like that's huge. We can get at things sooner. It's because you you know that sooner that we identify there's a concern and address it, the better it is and the easier it is to move somebody on that road to recovery. But if you have the longer we wait, can be harder to do that and especially for the young people you know 70 percent of mental illnesses start in the adolescence and you know out of those ones like to be able to help them so that you know they're not going to have all these significant struggles they may have some because that's life and sometimes it's the nature of the illness determining which one it is they have but to give them a better chance you know and so they don't lose their you know possibilities in front of them they don't lose their opportunities because they didn't get the help I, I think it's just unconscionable that we are asking kids to wait, you know, and anybody to wait. And sometimes, whether it's two weeks, two months, you know, and in some cases in this province, we have, you know, young people and young adults, you know, who are going into their well into their 20s who are, you know, waiting two years. Yeah, it's unconscionable. I'm a 10-year-old. What I mean, are the odds someone's going to make it two years when they're in that state? Well, and that's that's the challenge, right? You know, some do because you know parents and families and people around who who love them you know for you you know with with your your wife and your friends around you people find their own makeshift ways to cope and to get through sometimes you know just to and you find your own unique ways to to deal with it because you don't have a choice you know i'm not like i used to say to you know my kids i'm not letting go I'm going to be here. You know, you need me because there's nothing more precious than that person who's there for me. You know, that, that life, you know, I'm not letting go. And that's the most primary thing I say when I'm here, you know. And that's the thing, too. If you're, you're going to be in those roles, you tell somebody you're going to be there, you better be there. Yeah. You know, the disappointment if you said you're going to be there for me, no, you're not. You know, you, can, you can't go, you have to be truthful what you're telling people, especially when they're dealing with their mental illness and they're struggling enough and then they're feeling they're even more let down. You know, you can't do that. In your 13 years of kind of educating yourself and becoming an advocate in the mental health community, have you seen a lot of change? What's that change looked like? Yes, I, um, do you know, I have seen a lot of change. Um, 
in, in some areas and in some areas not much. Where I've seen the change is obviously in the, in the conversations that take place. You know, Bell Let's Talk Day was like eight years ago, the very first one or more. And the conversations that have taken place with that and the people being more open and having more dialogue, that's been huge. Organizations like uh, uh, Jack.org, you know, where they're rallying the youth across the country to raise up their voices and to challenge the norm in terms of, you know, around stigma and around, around mental um, health and mental illness awareness. That's huge. I mean, we didn't have that right. And sometimes these things get born out of tragedy, and sometimes these things get born out of just, you know, happenstance or circumstance or the right thing. It's the right time to do these things. And so I've seen that. Um, I've seen more focus or greater focus on peer support, not nowhere near where it needs to be, but it's there. I am seeing some very innovative things. Like if you go on to CAMH, uh, to their website and you go into their you know, information resources and you see you know, some of the things that they're doing. It's very cool. You, know, you look out west, um, the organization, I think it's the Foundry, and there's a um, gentleman out there, Dr. Steve Mathias, and they started the whole idea of having hubs where you go to where the people are, not, not bring them to where you are. You know, so that you set up, you know, make it easy for people to access services. And those things, you're seeing more of that. And funnily enough, that, that when they talk about doing these hubs, you know, of care and everything, that's what the family health teams have been doing across this country for, you know, ever. You know, in Halifax, the North End Clinic, that's exactly, it's, I think, since 1971. That's their model. You know, it's like mm. we've never stopped and looked at it. So that's there. Um, the other thing that's... Uh, really changed um people are the silos are coming down not as quickly as we would like but they're starting to be more collaborative teams there's a lot of more integration more giving voice to families and to the uh, person who is dealing with the mental illness whether they're an adult or a um, youth that there's a real appreciation and recognition that you can't be talking about them without them you know and having that piece there because you know you better than anybody else. You are the expert in yourself. And if you're not able to um, articulate that, having that advocate, you know, through your family or your loved one who can, because they know you, and Caitlin knows you better than anybody. Um, and the same with families, like the parents or, or family members, you know, are the experts in their kids. You know, I don't know mental illness in terms of what treatments are, but I know what their triggers are. I know what has worked. I know what our capacity is as a family to manage things. And that's why those voices are so critical. So you're seeing more of that being involved, which is essential. You're seeing more trying to do things in the community. And the other piece is you're seeing more where more partnering with the people lived experience and families but also in co-designing programs. So they're actually part of the actual creation of them. You know, so really doing, that, those things are cool. Uh, but yeah, we still, we still have a lot of silos. We still have a lot of belly button gazing. And, you know, we, you know, oh me, no, I don't know that. Um, and we still have a lot, long way to go around stigma. You know, because we have stigma within the health centers. Um, some, you know, sometimes we have stigma, you know, within the communities. And we have family stigma, we have self-stigma, 
And as much as we talk about even the best of workplaces that may have programs around uh, mental health, it's as good as the supervisor and managers in front of you. And if they don't, you know, accept or they don't uh, want to help, then, you know, all those other programs mean for nothing. Mm. You know, so I think long way to go, but we have gone, yeah, in 13 years, the changes have been phenomenal, but we still got a long way. Okay. I've, uh, I've had you for the better part of an hour here. I'm going to try to wrap this up quick. Um, just wondering what the, of all that you've done in the past 13 years, what are you most proud of? Um, hmm. Good question. Um, do you know, I have to say of all the things that I have done, well, having, you know, my children still here with me, that's got to be the, you know, the, the one, you know, especially when there's the rocky moments that have happened and, you know, you're wondering if the sunlight's coming up the next morning. But I think it's the Just Be You program that we started and that came out of uh, going um, Shine Out Shout Out, which is our, our hockey tournament. And we've grown into being an organization that raises awareness around youth mental health and peer-to-peer support programs. And... Let me go back and how we started on that one is in 2013, our oldest was going through a uh, treatment program and it was a pretty rough time for him and for the family and we, I play hockey just to help relieve my stress and I have an amazing team of women I've been together with now for 14 years wow. and we, I play, we play on different teams we always seem to be in different leagues but we mix and match but one particular team I've been with for 14 years and one Friday morning I walk into the dressing room I am tired I've been up all night it's been a very long week you know, because you don't sleep you, you worry you're, you, know, you can't really work you're having to constantly be on because you don't know what life is going to you know, hold for you when your loved one is dealing with a mental illness right and so we, I walked into the dressing room, the chatter's going, everything's great. And I thought, I can't do this. And I could feel the tears coming in my eyes and I walked back out. And then one of my teammates saw me walking back out and she ran and she said, you know, how are you doing? And I said, I just looked at her and she said, you need a hug. And she hugged me and I fell apart. And I said, I just can't do this today. I have to go home. And I, and I left. And later that day, I got a call from my teammates they said, we've done something for you. We know that you've got a lot on your plate. And at the time, we were accessing your program at Sunnybrook Hospital, which meant, you know, 60 kilometers each way of driving each day, you know, to get there. And I think a round trip, whatever it was. And so we had to drive every day, drive home at the end of every day. And it was demanding and it was tiring. So they decided that they were going to make meals for us. So they always say, you know, mental illness is not a casserole, you know, illness. Um, they defied that and they decided to make it, you know, a, cast- a casserole illness. So I had to leave my cooler on my front step every night. And so I would come home, you know, and we usually get home just around supper time. And in this cooler, there would be supper. And most times it would still be hot when, we, when I got it. And there would be, you know, some an appetizer and an entree and a dessert, you know. And there was, it wasn't just my small team. It was, there's 30 people from the league who signed on to do this. Wow. And they did this for eight weeks and they would have gone on longer, but my fridge was filled, my freezer, because <laughs> uh, because they made so much food. You know, I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, there's only four of us, and we're not big eaters. So, you know, I called and said, enough, you know, and I didn't know even how to repay them. And they just said, you know, this is a sign of like, you know, you do a lot for others. We wanted to give back to you, but there's other things you want to do. Let's talk about it. So, I went, 
So I thought, you know, why don't we do something in mental health? And by this point, I've been so involved with children's mental health that I was hearing from other families about, you know, if I don't, they only had a place to go, they don't have any friends, like they don't get out of the house, they're very isolated. And I thought, so I did my research and I'm going, huh, you know what, peer support, you know, social rec, there just seems to be a place. So I had this idea in my head. I called this group of ladies together in May of 2013 and said, okay, you know, in my kitchen, you know, typical Cape Bretoner, we do everything in the kitchen. <laughs> and I asked them, you know, say, we'd like to do something. Well, how can we raise funds? So we talked about, you know, do we have a gala? Do we have a golf tournament? Do we, you know, do a race or something? And then we all went, well, we play hockey. Why would we not do this? So we did the hockey tournament that first year. We raised over $30,000 in September. Connected with all the, um, somebody from United Way and said, you know, I need to know the agencies that do youth programs, pull them all together and said, we want to create this program. Here's what it looks like. We want to have it where it is for youth. You know, we saw the biggest age group at the time was 15 to 22. We want it to be youth-led. We want it to, for them to design it. We want them to have a safe place where they could go without judgment and just be youth and not have to worry. And so we put that together um, as an idea. They, they seemed to agree with it. Canadian Mental Health at the time said, we'll run it for you. you know, we, we thought, we'll fund it. We didn't care where the kids came from. We didn't want limits because you lived in Mississauga that you couldn't come or Milton. And we had a focus group and asked the youth, you know, what would stop you from coming? So we got a whole list and that became the things as the, which the program couldn't have. Okay. So really got to know like the program was going to be them. Um, and one of the areas that was a concern was, you know, getting there. So that we're providing transportation. So we had youth are being, you know, driven in from Milton, you know, that we have a cab or Uber now pick up or Burlington. And so this program started in 2014. And so every Friday night, a group of youth get together, hang out for you know, three, four hours and they play games. They may go to a movie. They may go paintballing. They may just have somebody come in and talk to them about, you know, how to do a budget or you know, how to have, you know, um, you know, uh, relations and you know fr- have friends you know and so sometimes just basic life skills but they decide they decide what it is they decide what it looks like and I mean the program started off slowly because you know as people got to learn about it, and it's called Just Be You the kids picked it themselves so they can just be themselves and over the last four years I watched as youth have come in youth have had some pretty serious you know issues going on in their lives some have had made you know three four times where they attempted to end their own life and you watch them grow and they talk now but that's family for them that there's days they can't get to school but they can get there that they find it's better than therapy sometimes but it's giving them the confidence it's giving them the this coping skills it's giving them the social connections and you're watching them grow you know so last year at the shine out shadow tournament um, we had six kids came and spoke and I bawled, you know, and this one young one, her words were, is you're, you guys are making a difference. You're saving lives, you know, and I think there was probably a dry eye in the, in, in the rink at that point because we got to see that direct impact in what we're doing. It wasn't just dollars go in and it goes off to some nefarious account and, you know, we hope that what is going to research or to direct program, you, you sort of hope it's going somewhere, but you're not really sure. This is, it, everything was fully covered by sponsors. It goes from us directly to this program. And so the all the dollars are all theirs and they manage it and they, they run it. And to me, that's the thing I'm the most proud of 
and you know because I see the difference it's making for these kids you know and so September 8th this year we're back at it in Oakville with our adult recreational hockey tournament and raising more funds and you know do more for the kids two hundred thousand dollars in five years uh yeah it started in 2013 so this will be our this will be our sixth tournament year but yeah five years of yeah that sounds like a lot and it sounds like um you know it's made a real difference in the community and it doesn't cost much to make that difference i mean you're you're probably looking you know around thirty thousand dollars a year to make a difference in the life of you know 20 some kids that sounds like a pretty you know low cost for a great impact yeah yeah so it's amazing. We're, we're hoping that you know to be able to do better raise more funds and you know grow it into other areas within the region because we know there's a need especially in the north do you have anything else? No, this is fun. Like this is the, you, got, you guys have to see the setup here. It's very cool. It's very fun, and uh, Justin makes it really easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll leave it at that. I just want you to know that uh, I'm glad that uh, we've crossed paths, and uh, you've done a lot for me that you don't even know about, and uh, continue to do what you're doing. Thank I hope you. I can. Uh, hope I can. Uh, latch on at some point and kind of oh you, you now that we're connected you just you know you have no choice there's yeah. there's you know we got the tournament this year we got our midnight madness you know yeah no you're you're in this for life i hate to tell you okay. that's the way it is and by the way for this, those of you who like to know you justin's a fellow nova scotianer so you know we're everywhere yeah we had that immediate bond yeah absolutely yeah we are everywhere the number of people i've met so i've been here almost five years and every people i've met they're from nova scotia and if not from nova scotia then atlantic canada it's like I feel like it's like half the people I know. I think there's a magnet inside of us. I decided it's like the salt water magnet. It just sort of pulls us together. You know, it's you know how you when you get uh, mercury and you pour it into a bowl and they all pull, gels together. It was sort of maritimers just sort of like that. We sort of just you know, naturally pull together and find yeah. each other. And yeah, it's it's yeah. exciting. And I, I'm for me, you know, watching you know and listening to what you've been dealing with the last little while. Um, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that, you know, you're starting to move forward. And I'm glad that you have, you know, a path that you want to go towards, you know. And if there's anything that I can do, you Thank know, you. You, you reach out to me. You know I'll be there for you. Maybe the first time in my life I found something that I actually believe in. That's very cool. <laughs> it's very cool. See, you know, yeah. and 13 years later, you'll be you having a conversation with yourself. <laughs> I can only hope. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Put a lid on it. Episode 13 is in the books. Really appreciate Michelle taking the time out of her extremely busy work and volunteer schedule to join me. And I hope you get a sense of how passionate and involved Michelle is in everything in our community. She says she's going to get me on uh, a couple of things with her, and I look forward to doing that. For now, that's it for episode 13. Thank you for listening. Uh, Stay tuned for Tuesday. We have a big one. It's going to be Michael Landsberg of Sick Not Week will be joining us on the podcast. So make sure to listen to that for that one coming Tuesday afternoon, probably. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.